0: A church to be able to be involved in that way. And I I thank all of you for your participation and your prayers and everything for um, these various outreaches and ministries. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Timothy chapter 5. As we're continuing our journey through 1 Timothy, the section that we've come to this morning is one that's um, a bit difficult in some ways because. There are several things in here that are really politically not correct, and, and, um, and it's something that might seem to be irrelevant to us in some ways, and it's the section here about the church's care of widows. It should present some real challenges to us, by the way, as well, but it also has a broader um, application because providing for widows was a huge problem that they had in the early church. Uh, frankly, because so many men were being martyred, and as a result, they were left with a lot of um, elderly women on their hands, and what were they going to do with them? Acts chapter six deals with the issue of feeding the widows, who's um, you know who were there. Actually, technically, the uh, the Hellenistic Jewish women felt like they weren't getting their fair share. Here in First Timothy chapter five, Paul is Addressing Timothy on this issue and basically giving him some advice on how to dole out whatever the church had in order to help others. And this is something that's important for us to understand and to learn from because we can't help everyone who's in need. And every one of us is torn. We see so many needs that are out there, and you think, well, how do you prioritize that? What are our responsibilities? And how should we? go about making those decisions. And so it's some real practical stuff, but again, it doesn't always conform to some of our modern sensibilities. And so there are some things in there that might um, prove to be shocking to you, but I'm just going to go through it. And as as we go through this passage in terms of how Paul was telling Timothy specifically to address the issue of widows, There are some real lessons that I think we learned that have a much broader application than just providing for widows, and so we'll make a few observations after we've worked through the passage, but let's go ahead and tackle this. Beginning with verse 3, he says, Honor widows who are really widows. Now, already that seems kind of an unusual way of putting it, because a widow is someone whose husband has died, and you would think... How complicated is that? But here he's talking specifically about who to support. The word honor there is a word that means to put a value on and actually to compensate in the context. Later on he talks about pastors and how we are to support them, and he calls it giving them double honor. Um, And it's clearly from the context talking about finances, and so because of the context, here he's saying don't just give money to someone or don't just give food or resources to someone just because they say they're a widow or just because they're alone. Um, There are more criteria to look at than just that. And so we're looking for the ones who are really widows, the ones who are perhaps the most deserving or in the greatest need. But he says, but if any widow has children or grandchildren... Let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. So his first principle is, you shouldn't have the church taking on responsibility for people who their families would be able to help take care of them. Now, you can see as we go through the rest of the passage, he's not just specifically saying that families are obligated to take care of anyone in their family in to whatever degree that that it's desired but he's he's saying take a look at family first now as you continue to read through here you'll recognize that he has more in mind than just okay you're not considered a widow if you don't you know unless you have a fam- don't have a family who can support you but He's saying more than that, as we will see. But see, for them, they had a limited number of women that... Basically, there were women who traveled with the disciples... And the apostles, women who had churches at their homes, they were the host of, of the house churches and things like that. And so they were supported. It was kind of like them being in a staff sort of relationship on the church. And so this has interesting implications when the church goes to hiring people to do certain jobs. Um, that was the way they dealt with it. Hey, the people who's, who had been widowed by you know guys who were serving the Lord, Um, they're our first candidates to look at. But the whole thing of children and grandchildren learning to show piety at home and repay their parents is an important point. But it also has behind it the implication that if you have raised your kids right, if you have taught them responsibility, then naturally they should want to take care of you. And so it, it has behind it kind of a sly sort of thing that hey, if you have kids and grandkids and, and they don't want to help take care of you, I wonder why. And we'll see a little more as we go along. But he says, this is good and acceptable before God. This is, God would like to see support be self-propagating. As you have a godly family, they're raised in a godly way, and the children and grandchildren benefit from that. And then, of course, they, their desire is to take care of, of their parents and grandparents. Now he says in verse five, now she who is really a widow and left alone, there's just no, no one to take care of her, but a real widow is someone who trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. They had women whose whole job in life was to be the prayer warriors for the church, and, those, and it's legitimate to, to help to support someone in terms of feeding them and everything, if that's the priority of their life. Now, what does that say about about those who you'd go, well, she's a widow, but she's not really a prayer warrior exactly. Well, they would, in in an almost cold way, just say, well, they're not your problem. They aren't your priority. Because again, not that it's something wrong with supporting anyone, but in our society we believe in that everyone is entitled. And if you take as your obligation to support everyone who has a need, you will find that unless you have the kind of credit of the U.S. government where you can run up an infinite deficit, you'll find yourself running out of resources. And so he's not saying that there's anything wrong with helping out someone who isn't a prayer warrior, but he's saying with the limited resources that you have, These are some of the things to look for in terms of priority. And I think it, by the way, applies to more than just for widows. For anyone that we are to help, we'll see a lot of help in here in terms of how to set your priorities and and, and in terms of who you're helping. And obviously, it gives you a, a good idea of how to live life. So he said, when I'm talking about a widow, I'm talking about someone who is a woman who trusts in God. She doesn't have any other options, and she's continuing in supplications and prayers night and day. But, verse 6, she who lives in pleasure, or the word there means luxury, is dead while she lives. In other words, if, if you're living, you're, you know, helping someone out is not to help them with luxuries of life. Like people who are panhandling asking you for money, and then they're texting someone on their iPhone, it's like... I don't think you're, you know, your data plan would buy you some food. But you know, the idea is, no, if you want to live your life for what you can get, then you're kind of on your own about supporting yourself. If that's the way that you've lived your life, if you've squandered what you have on luxuries, well, then there may come a time when you don't have anything left. That's not our problem. That's not something we would take on. It's not to be able to give people everything they want. It's that if someone who has lived an exemplary life is in need of food, you'll want to help them get food. Now he says, and these things command that they may be blameless, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So again, within the family structure, within those who are close to you, that's the first place to look in terms of who you would want to help. Now, I've heard people misuse this scripture to suggest that anyone in your family is someone that you ought to support. But again, that's not the picture that he's saying here. You need to look at all the qualifications and all the considerations that are there, certainly. But don't neglect your own blood relatives, those who are, who are living with you, if they are the types of people that he's describing, they shouldn't end up becoming a burden on the church or you know, anyone else. The, if, if you have a, a means of, of helping them and providing for them, it's something that you should certainly consider doing. And really, the idea that you're worse than an unbeliever is that if you claim to have faith, but you don't even care about your own family, then what good is your faith? Is it real? Now, again, this isn't talking about your uncle who's a bum and chooses not to work. The Bible's really blunt about people who don't work. They shouldn't eat. And so, again, that clashes with our modern sensibilities that would say, anyone who is hungry, you need to feed. Anyone who is in need, you need to help. But that creates the kind of society that we are living in today, and that's certainly not, you know, if you live that way, pretty soon you just won't have any resources. But the point is, don't ignore, don't neglect your own family when, you, when, for every other reason, you have a reason to want to help them out and to be able to do that. And if if you don't live that out, if you don't care about them, then your care for other people is hypocritical. Verse 9, <laughs> don't let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, literally a one-man woman. Same word, but a female form that, that we see for elders who are to be a one-woman man. Um, this is a qualification for someone who's a legitimate candidate for help is someone who has been uh, it's not a floozy, not somebody who bounces around. The idea is, hey, if she's been through a few guys, she married the wrong people if she hasn't come away with anything. <laughs> and, and so look, looking for someone who lives their life in such a way that they were a family person and they were devoted. And again, this may be offensive to us, but it's just what the Bible says. I, I don't want to take a chance at watering it down. Now, again, they, he uses the standard of 60 as being, well, if you're over 60, you probably can't provide for yourself and your chances of getting married aren't so good and so that sort of qualifies you and makes you a candidate. Today with modern science and things like that, I'm hoping that God would consider the number to be more like 70 or 80 before your life is virtually over But <laughs> because I'm creeping up on 60. But the point really is that Hey, if you're helping somebody, if they're younger, they, they should be helping themselves. You're not doing them a favor by supporting someone who has the wherewithal to support themselves. But he goes on to say also that not only that they were, you know, a, the wife of one man, but they were well-reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers has been hospitable if she has washed the saints' feet, been involved serving in the church, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. And so the Bible doesn't have a problem with discrimination on the basis of what have you contributed. Now, again, this seems so weird that in studying it, I'm like, wow, I can't say that. I You know, it, that sounds so unfair. Because in our society, we think it's unfair to say, I can only help so many people, and you know what? I'm going to help the people who are helping others. I'm going to help the people who have character, who have established a track record of service. Now, interestingly, people who live this kind of life tend to be in a position where they don't really need much help, and maybe that's part of the point. But we should never feel obligated to help either people who are young and able to work or people who have just completely squandered their life wastefully and made ridiculous decisions. Now, God's grace is there for you no matter what you've done to your life. But at the same time, it's counterproductive if we try to bail out everyone who digs themselves into a hole. And that's the idea, okay? If your decisions got you where you are, I feel bad for you, but it's not my problem to compensate for what you have failed to do. Now again, that's, in our day and age, that just sounds shocking. But the Bible had no problem with making those kinds of evaluations because it was the day where resources were truly limited. There was no credit. There was no way that you could bend and shape and fold things. It was just, I only have so much food here. Who am I going to give it to? If I have a choice between someone who has lived life well and someone who has lived life poorly, sorry, <laughs> you know, but you kind of get what you make it it happens hey, if there's something left over I'll, I'll I'll try to help you out too. but the priority is with people who have made wise decisions, not people who have been bouncing from relationship to relationship, not people who have chosen to live their life selfishly and squandered what they've had. No, we're talking about people who poured themselves into their families and lived their lives in a godly way and people of prayer. That's where the, where the priority is to be put. And, and so he doesn't apologize for that at all. He just kind of lays it out there and, and says, that's what we do. Now, again, notice... The type of people who really do lovingly raise children, who take care of strangers, who minister to others, what's the likelihood that they're going to end up in a situation where there's no one there for them? And so this is a lesson that is carried down through the generations that if we live life the way God encourages us to live our life, so often we're not going to end up in a situation whereby we're not able to take care of ourselves, will be surrounded by people who want to take care of us. Now, this isn't to say, for instance, that, you know, your life doesn't matter if you never had kids or if you never got married. Because there are all sorts of opportunities for people who have never been married and never had children to be the type who are bringing up children and who are taking care of strangers and things like that. I think of Rose Martinez, one of our missionaries, that her picture was the first one that you saw holding a child there. Very few people that I know who have brought up more children than Rose, and they call her over there in Thailand and Cambodia, they call her Mama Rose. But Mama Rose has never been married, never had any children of her own, so to speak, but she's devoted her life to children. And as a result, she has... Those kids that she has raised up, now the kids who have come through her orphanages, many of them are successful business people and doctors and things like that, and they're looking out for her as she's into her 50s now, and and they're starting to come to her and say, let's talk about your retirement. Let's talk about how we can come alongside you and help. And Rose is not going to have a problem with who's going to take care of me when I'm not able to work anymore. She'll be praying and doing what she can do, and and she'll be surrounded by those thousands of children that she's poured her life into. And so, you know, there's a lot of wisdom in what Paul is saying here, and and I wonder if we would treat our children better if we knew that they were our best chance to have a future when we get older. Um, Sometimes the chickens come home to roost, when someone lives a selfish life and neglects their children, often those children will choose to neglect the parent in the end. Like that old um, song, I think it was a Cat Stevens song, The Cat's in the Cradle, and it's about a, a dad who never has time for his kids, and then he gets older, and the kid doesn't have time for the dad anymore. Well, that's sort of how it works sometimes. Now, there are parents who have been great parents, and their kids are ingrates and spoil brats and won't help them, and that's where we need to come alongside and help. Sometimes it works that way. But if, if we would live life the way God tells us to, this wouldn't be a huge problem. So he says, take a look at people who have invested their life in a, in a fruitful way. And he says in verse 11, refuse the younger widows, younger than 60, or by our, in our economy, maybe 70 or 80, wherever you want to put it. Refuse the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry. So they would commit themselves, hey, I'm going to be here working in the church, serving God the rest of my life. And then it's like, oh, but I met a guy. And so you've invested in them, and he's going hey, they, they're going to get pulled away. You can't necessarily depend on them being there. And besides that, there are better things they can do with their life than this. They, so don't take in the, the younger women because, um, as he says, you know, they're not always going to be there. And having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith, you'll get them to make a commitment that they won't keep. And besides... They learned to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. I didn't say that. I'm just reading. It's right there. You can see it for yourself. But therefore, he says, I desire that the younger widows would get married again and bear children that they would manage the house and give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully for some have already turned aside after Satan. So he says, you know what? The young, the younger women, and his, his, he's using 60 as a milestone, they ought to still have hope for the future. They, they should put a life together. They're going to have that desire and it's a good thing. He goes, "I wish they would get married and and have kids or raise kids or minister to kids or something like that. That's their highest expression and and fulfillment in life. That's what's going to satisfy them. Now, I don't think this is saying that if you don't have kids, again, you know your life is worthless, or that if you don't get married, then you know you're somehow missing God's plan for your life um, I, and I, and again. Keep in mind what he's actually talking about. Priorities of who you're going to support. But it is interesting, and I can't escape it, and I can't culturalize it away, that he felt that, hey, you know, a younger woman is going to be happiest if she's having a family, if she's a part of a family unit, if she's married. Now, today we have a lot of people who remain single for a variety of reasons. Um, and one of the biggest reasons is maybe they've tried men and found out that what jerks we can be, and as a result they just go, "I'm not going there again," and you know, or or you haven't found the right person yet. You but a part of that is because our society has built up this expectation of this romantic notion that you're going to meet this perfect person who's going to be perfect for you you match up and it's going to be like a movie when you get to it's like a movie but not the movies that you think sometimes (laughs) but but see in the bible and in their culture certainly the idea was hey the best way for you to be healthy is to be in a relationship with another person is to be connected and you know Again, I I don't want to make everybody mad at me or anything, but I do think that, that we should consider the fact that sometimes we've made it a little too difficult, and we've expected too much, and we ignore the fact that the truth is, for most people, hey, being married, having a family, that's a good thing. It's something that you should consider, whether you've been burned before or whatever, that's that's something. There are things that you can learn in relationship with another person that you'll never learn any other way. And so that's what he's saying. Sorry. <laughs> and then he says, finally, in verse 16, if any believing man or woman have widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. So again, the church should be the place of last resort. Um, If there's a way that you can help, then certainly do it so that the church doesn't have to take that burden on itself. So there you have it. Now, a couple of things that to me jump out that I just want to point out, and you can pray about them and think about them and draw your own conclusions. The first one is, it's amazing what a priority that Paul, a single guy, seems to put on family and the family unit. When he's defining someone who is to be helped and who is godly and is living a fulfilled life, he's, he's using a traditional housewife as being an example of here's a good way to live your life. And I think that our society plays that down so much that we, feel we, have, we have a lot of women who feel totally unfulfilled doing what they were born to do, doing what they are best to do, doing what they should feel like. I am investing my life in the best thing I could possibly do. My kids, my grandkids, serving other people, ministering in the home, ministering in that way. Now, it's not politically correct, but it certainly, and, and you can establish this From just talking to people who are out there trying to to violate this principle, that really, if there's a way to find a family unit to plug into, it's what he uses as, if I'm going to describe a good life, this is what I'm describing, this kind of a deal. And so if you have the blessing of being in that position, please don't think that that's secondary or that's not God's best. It is a tremendous blessing from God. And, and God is as pleased when you are at home with those little kids and, and fighting the struggles of doing everything that you need to do for them and changing their diapers and feeding them and having them spit it back at you and, and all of those things. When you feel like, I don't know if I can even take this some more, God sees you and he goes, you're doing something incredibly valuable with your life. And what you are doing is laying a foundation for a great future, because if you train up those children in 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 the godly way, then you 're going to be so blessed later on they 're going to be there for you they 're going to appreciate you, they will rise up and and call you blessed they 'll want to be there for you, and so this whole notion of the family and especially of being a woman who is a family woman and who is there for her children, for her husband. That's something that God puts a huge premium on, and I I think we should as well. Secondly, I think it's important to acknowledge the value of age. Um, The Bible puts a very great blessing on people who have lived most of their life, especially age when godliness accompanies it. Just getting old doesn't mean you should be respected, but... To live your life right and then to, to last a long time doing that is a huge honor. And it's to be appreciated. And, and we should look at those around us who are older saints, older than us, and make sure that we reaffirm them, make sure that we try to bless them and, and help take care of them and encourage them and say thank you to them because they created whatever good that is here by their toil, by their efforts. And again, age is a beautiful thing. And you should be proud to have gray hair if you've lived a life that's exemplary. If you've just frittered your life away selfishly, if you've just lived for pleasure then yeah, you probably should try to look younger and do everything you can to make it look like you're not as close to dead as you really are. Because but and that's kind of what Paul said here. But but if you've if you earned those gray hairs, wear them with pride. And let's look at those around us and and hey, if you're in a position to hire people, there's nothing greater you can do than to hire someone with experience to hire someone who is older, if they're a person of character, if they're someone who has, has poured into their family and provided for them and been a loyal spouse and been someone who's walked with the Lord. and ha- Those are the kind of people that you want to put into positions. They, if they're still able to work, even, even part-time, to give them those opportunities would be a really wise thing to do and to, to continue to affirm them for the way that they've lived their lives. That's, that just oozes out of this passage, I think. Um, thirdly, in this thing, I see that your own nuclear family, your own biological family ought to mean something. That you need to, again, not at the exclusion of all these other things, but at the same time, if you have a chance to be a blessing to people in your own family, do it blessing your kids is going to make your future better and and blessing your parents is going to to make up for all that they've done for you and so to look at your family and to pray about how God wants you to minister to them is something that that might involve doing some forgiving that might involve having a bigger picture and and saying man they messed up in a lot of ways but they were trying, and, and I, I don't know where I'd be without them anyway. And how, and I want to show some appreciation for that, and I, I want to help as much as possible. And again, I'm not talking about rewarding irresponsibility or bad behavior and just bailing someone out. But at the same time, your family matters, and, and that's clear, and they should be considered when you're caring for others as well. And then finally what I notice in this passage is that it's not too late for love. It's not too late to be investing your life in others, that you might think, well, I'm kind of over the hill now. Well, he doesn't seem to think that. He, He goes, hey, you know, maybe you've had a rough time, and maybe you think, I don't know if I can ever love again, but come on, that's what life is about. Take a chance, step out there a little bit. It's not too late to to take care of youngsters. It's not too late to put part of your life into someone else. And you're not doing it because, oh, I, I just want to you know, bless these kids so that hopefully someday they'll throw me a few bucks when I need it. That's not the idea. The idea is that what you sow, you'll reap. And your life will become enriched when you invest in the lives of others. And when you have that chance, you want to take it because God sees that and honors that and in fact rewards that. He loves it when people do that and who who say, "Okay, I'm not done yet. My life is still going on and I want to do good things with it. I want to be involved." Yeah, we all look back on our life and we have regrets. We all wish we had made decisions differently than we have. But you're still breathing, you're still alive. It's not too late. For you young people, uh, oh if you would learn these lessons now and and spend your life doing things that matter and helping others who really deserve it, who really who who have lived their life right, you'll be blessed. But even those of us who are older, it's never too late to begin to invest in eternity by reaching out to those who who are less fortunate and need some help. And anything you do for somebody who's less fortunate is is good. But you know, you can only help so many. And so to set some priorities straight and to, to begin to, to give to causes that matter most and to begin to help people and encourage people who, who have done it right, what that does is it reinforces to people, just like saying, you know what, if a guy's not going to work, don't give him food. Well, a guy gets hungry enough, he'll start to work. And then he'll have food. And in the same way, if we just honor everyone indiscriminately, we, we won't learn the lesson here that we need to pick people out who have done life right and reward that kind of a life so other people go, I want to live that kind of a life. Because at the end, in the final analysis, it works. It pays. It, it's a blessing. So, there we go. It was a lot to cover. I didn't know how to break it up, and there are difficult concepts in here. I've probably given plenty of people reasons to be mad at me, but I didn't write this, really. It's like, we're going through First Timothy. I'm committed to go through the whole Bible. Here it is. Receive from it whatever God wants you to receive, and, um, and, and go in peace. I'm not trying to hurt anybody or beat anyone up. I'm just trying to be faithful to the Word. Let's pray. God, help us to learn all that you have for us. Because we only get one shot at living life down here. Help us to find those most important things to invest our lives in. Help us to expend our energy, our time, our money, in those things that, that last, in those things that matter most. Help us to look for opportunities to reward those who do the same. Help us to look for any, any ways in which you may want to use us to help accommodate others. We know that you honor and bless those who live life faithfully. And sometimes you want to use us to honor and bless them. So help us to be sensitive, to listen to your voice, and to be discriminating in, in what we do with the limited resources we have. Lord, speak to each of us. If there's a way that we need to adjust our lives, just lovingly remind us this morning that we still have a chance to do this differently. So encourage and help each of us to become more and more who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.